0: Sweet Timmy Claire can't keep his posting schedule up, he's mocked it up. Whoa, 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 Timmy C. Oh, Timmy C. I am he. I am me. I'm a sweet Timmy C whoa C whoa, 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 doing a podcast self-indulging Lee don't improvise a song to start your show host Timmy C, you'll alienate Even your most loyal listeners know I'm gonna do my song I'm gonna move into this middle age section And sing a blood How I'm super cool I'm Timmy Clear. I'm super cool But I'm also... Kind of charming and vulnerable underneath Because although I'm irritating I have mental health issues I mention frequently So if you're annoyed at me It's kind of like you're not really into Mental health advocacy, oh Yes I mispronounced mental health advocacy But that's alright cause this is a safe place We don't judge people here for getting words wrong We don't judge and for getting words wrong Not even Arkansas Which I repeatedly pronounced as Arkansas on a previous show Cause I didn't know Even though I like to think myself as educated I guess I am, I guess it doesn't really matter If you can pronounce words or not It's just a kind of vocabulary based Aristocracy And that's the end of my song It didn't last terribly long But you might miss it when it's gone Oh, Timmy C, won't you sing a song to me, frequently, And that breaking voice that tells me it's time for Timmy C, C, The whole show's not gonna be like this I'm just trying to find a way to get out of the song To kind of exit with my dignity. It's kind of like riding a tiger. Easy to start, not so easy to stop because you gotta do some kind of big finish to make it feel like the bit was worth it. But if you don't commit to the bit, it's even less funny than going on. But beyond the But it was a joke And I'm not really good at improvising It's not something that I've practised at So I'm just monologuing To a vaguely recognisable tune Whoa, 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 whoa
1: I really hate it when um, somebody who can sing well does that kind of whoa, whoa Especially if they're on a Kind of singing competition TV show. And they're kind of like,
0: Happy birthday to you. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. Hello. Welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer, one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers, and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show, we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better, and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end, I get authors on the show to talk to them about writing their books. I get listeners to send in their first pages and I give feedback on how they could make them even better. And sometimes I talk about writing. Sometimes I talk unscripted on a subject I have no idea about. And sometimes I talk specifically about something that a listener has brought up or some topic that um, I think is worthy of me talking about. I don't mean to big myself up there by suggesting that there's only, of course, there are almost no topics that are genuinely beneath me. But one that at least I'm interested enough to um, monologue on for the uh, length of a show. Now, coming up in future shows, I'm going to be looking at some more listeners' first pages because lots of you have sent them in after I put out a request on social media and said so on previous episodes that I'd love to hear from you. If you would like to submit your first page for a future episode where I can have a look over it and make sure, if you are going to do that, you that you have listened to at least one episode where I do look at a listener's first page just so you get an idea of the tone and the robustness with which I engage with them. Um, Some people have said that I'm sort of very tough on the first pages. And I, I think, I hope that I'm honest about the first pages, but I I would never want to sound like I'm being tough on the authors who are all brilliant, amazing, um, worthwhile, valuable people. And I'm not saying that in a snarky way. I genuinely mean it Um, because we, we, and and actually, either next episode or the episode after, I'm going to be reading out a bit of my own work. I, I think that's often the least interesting part of this show, but um, because I'm doing a series where I'm going to attempt to write a novel, I, have, I did sort of knock out a first bit, a first scene, and I'm not terribly happy with it, nor should I be at this stage, but I think it's important that I sort of read out what I've got and maybe get to talk a little bit about why... I've stalled slightly and I think we need to address that together and see how we can move forward because you may have had the same thing about something being initially enthusiastic about something and then things get in the way and you think maybe I should stop or maybe this is no good or maybe you are genuinely correct when you write up the, the the first bit and it's no good and where do we go from there so that's going to be um next episode or the episode after but today I just wanted to talk about something the other thing that's been happening is I'm kind of between books at the moment which you know when people say they're between jobs they mean they've been fired and I I think I'm more in a genuine transitional period of having handed one book in gone through with my editor and agent a lot of changes (laughs) there's a story for another time the amount of editing I've done on it but it was um, a great deal in a very compacted period and I think I earned my I think I earned my editing stripes uh in in in, in that in that process I, I I really feel like I really feel confident giving people feedback on editing their first pages now because I know one I understand how difficult it is to hear, and I understand that I'm a complete hypocrite that oh gosh, I love editing other people's work here you go it's time for a few home truths as i say as i start pointing out some things i would have done differently the moment the moment uh, a professional with years of experience whom i theoretically like and admire has the temerity to suggest the slightest alteration the immaculate tablets the the graven words the very from from god's lips to my ear dictated manuscript as soon as an editor has the temerity to suggest that i make some kind of change that it might not be perfect that there may be some area that I could improve in oh my goodness the defences shoot up oh my goodness you should see me what an absolute monster I become this can't be right this can't be you can't be you ought so either I'm like well I just don't think this person's understood this that's that's defense number one defense number two is they're right, it's, it's appalling. They're holding back. It's much worse than they're saying, this is really putting a sticking plaster on a gunshot wound. There's no saving this book. What's the point? Also, if I make that change, the book is destroyed. I definitely have a grieving process I have to go through in editing. and um, But I did rise to the challenge in this case. I really think I did and I'm proud of myself for doing my job I mean admittedly I'm like but it's not easy right and I think with the content of the book I've just handed in as well it was extremely personal it means an awful lot to me and I felt incredibly vulnerable and I know writers I know writers always say that right they always go I've worked really hard on this latest book and it, this is a, a really personal one to me well, oh, there's never go. I really phoned it in on this book, and to be honest, it means nothing to me. I just was writing a formula piece. Like no one, no one ever says this is a uh, particularly impersonal book. I've just knocked out. We we always say that, and I'm sure we're being sincere. But how accurate our own perception of our own work is, I don't know. Anyway, there were various things, but I, yeah, as much as that's true. Would I be as defensive about, you know, writing something, I guess, in someone else's secondary world, writing something to a deadline, something maybe that wasn't, you know, m- my heart on display. But, I, w- yeah, I probably would be almost as defensive, I suspect, no, if I'm honest, because, I don't know, because I'm human. And, and I, Anyway, I want to say, like, I understand it. If you'd like to submit your work. Anyway, so I, that's what I've finished. I've handed it in. Um... I've got my, and I know that it's officially been accepted as this is an acceptable manuscript because I've been in publishing a lot of the time. You, especially like with non-fiction like this, is you'll get sort of three tranches of money. Um, one on signing, so you'll get an advance, whatever block of uh money that you get on as an advance, uh, and that's an advance payment against hoped for future earnings of the book future royalties when people buy it and you'll get one block of that money when you submit the book you'll get a second block of that money um no so you get first block of that money when you get the book accepted so you say would you like this and and if it's fiction a lot of the time you'll have written the whole thing especially if it's your first book you'll have written the whole novel but and you send it to them and you say would you like this and they say yes so you get a third of your payment on signing of the contract then a third of the payment on submitting the finished manuscript and them saying yeah we're happy with this and then a third tranche of the money on publication day So that's the way your sort of the finance side of it is going to be split up. And the reason I bring this up is because I just wanted to talk today about some of the processes. So I'm starting a a new book. I've really started it only this week and it might not ever turn into a book. But I think you can only do these things by throwing yourself into it and, and seeing what happens, really. So that's what I'm doing. And I feel slightly weird and fraudulent. but I'm doing that anyway. So I'm in this odd point at the moment where I've started work on a new book that might not ever turn into a book. I finished the other one and really I have nothing to do with that book for the next year now until it comes out in May 2022. Not officially announced it on any of my social media, this is just between me and you. Uh, At some stage there will be an official quote-unquote announcement, that's how they like to do these things and um, when that happens and they want to time that often, So, so to to time to to create publicity. So maybe they're going to try and sell foreign rights at the same time or something like that. I don't know. Um, so they'll try and announce it then, and then and then and then so they can point people to the fact that it's been there's been a big announcement this week. And would you like to buy it, Germany or whatever? But what I wanted to talk about is a process. I did a thread on this on Twitter, and a few people seemed to find it interesting. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, a viral thread by social media standards, but I think it seemed to be shared by quite a few different writers. And so I thought people might be interested if I talked a little bit about the process, the dark art of blurbs and the blurbing. Some people call these endorsements. But this process of getting so you've finished your book, you've handed it in to your publisher. And and I'm assuming the model I'm going to be talking about is from Trad Publishing, where you via an agent find a publisher they give you an advance your book comes out and comes out in shops but elements of this apply to indie publishing as well if you're publi- publishing through kindle or something like that you're doing an ebook. Uh, the timings of this are different but getting blurbs finding other authors who might be interested in supporting your work and saying so and having their name put to that um is still relevant but I'm going to talk to you about it from my experience as an author based in the UK. Um, you know, your mileage may vary for other countries, but I I, I I, don't and I don't do much industry talk on this podcast. I tend to do craft talk or Tim is sad talk, <laughs> um, but very little. Um, occasionally, people go, like, can you do like a how to get published or how to write your query letter? And um, I think uh, I've never written a query letter in my life. I I I don't e- I'm not even 100% sure it you're writing to agents saying would you like me to send you my work? It's this, it's an in a little paragraph about it. I think that might be an American thing. People seem very kind of het up about writing the perfect query letter. Um and I I see much less about people saying how can I make my book not shit. And I I do feel like there's this idea that when I used to, when I, I I did the MA in prose fiction at University of East Anglia, and we would occasionally have throughout that course, you get agents come come in to to do little talks to the group, and there's a a slightly there's a slightly fervent atmosphere in the air because people,
2: it's it's a you know it's an industry
1: person. Maybe if I catch their eye or ask a very clever question. They'll want to represent me. And, you know, it's the, some, for, for most people in that room, it's the first time they've encountered an editor or publisher from the world of publishing, so it's terribly exciting. There's a feeling of, you know, notice-me-senpai-style desperation in the room. and And a lot of the questions after they've done their little talk come down to, is there a sort of secret code that I could use That will get my book read by more agents when I write to them. And the person has to go, um, no, just um, could if you try and make it good, uh, maybe don't, you know, write your, don't don't post it in an envelope where the address has been written in green crayon. Maybe, don't try and be super clever and don't rely on novelty. Just make the book good. And people seem frustrated because they hoped that the agent would actually say, here's a secret that only the people in this room are going to know, and now you have an advantage over the other 95% of people who weren't in this room. Instead, they go, just make it good. And everyone thinks, well, I didn't need to come to this lecture then. I was going to try to do, do that anyway. And that's the truth of it, I'm afraid. And it's nice to imagine that maybe there's a sort of secret formula because then if we knew it, we could get round all the the slush piles, as it's often called, this fear that you will never get noticed. But there isn't a secret, really. Um, mate, I'm sure that there are connections and clearly celebrities who've already got an existing uh, profile find it easier to get an agent and easier to find a publisher because they're um, a safer bet. But that isn't because they've written a brilliant query letter. That's because they've got a profile from a different industry. Anyway, I want to talk about blurbs. So what is a blurb? I'm not asking you. We're not in dialogue here. Don't You don't have to reply. Um, this is a, a purely monologue-based medium. That was a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it now. But I thought if I asked it and then answered it... Rhetorical questions are funny, aren't they? I'll ask a question and then you'll go oh yeah what what is the answer to that question <laughs> you'll I kind of gaslight you into thinking you asked the question and I go well thank you for asking Tim what is blurbing I'll and now I've whetted your appetite I I will now fulfill your appetite by giving the answer so I I rarely hear this talk about and this is I, I, I was I was doing the thread I wrote the thread really because I thought no one would be interested except for people listening to this podcast. I want to get my thoughts in order. Turned out a few people were, but and now I can use it for the podcast because I have got my thoughts in order. So once you have handed in your book, your editor will probably turn around to you. I don't know why they turn round. I guess they were they had their back to you. Maybe they'd they were gazing out their their windows. Down on the dirty city, listening to Vivaldi, her sunbeams uh, igniting dust motes that float softly through the air. There's a quiet, and they say, publishing's a hard world, Tim. You know, if we want this book to do well, we're going to need to call in the big guns once it's been accepted and handed in your book, then there's often a long time left before publication. And, and that time, unless they're really trying to jump on some phenomena and for some reason a book that they had in the hopper has become very, very timely or they're trying to jump on some popular phenomenon and they've got someone to write a book very quickly, normally now... The lead-in time from acceptance to... And this is assuming it's a one-book deal. If you've got a multi-book deal, then a book might be accept. You might sign a contract for a book years before it comes out. But the gap between handing in your book and it coming out might be 12 or 13 months. So I've handed my book in. And it's not coming out till May next year at the time of recording. It's mid-May 2021. And a lot of that time these days, obviously, there you know, there's a, a proofreading stage. There's uh, they they create proofs, which are like dummy versions of the book. I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna assume you you know any of the um, jargon, although I know it's like fairly sort of well disseminated. But just to make sure everyone's on the bus and no one feels sort of lost, you they make proof copies of your books, um, physical copies that are a little bit like the ones that would be sold in the shop although if it's going to come out in hardback first those proofs will just be in paperback unless you're getting some kind of super fancy uh, snazzy proofs those those will just be in paperback and often not as good quality as the final paperback the proofs that they did of the honors when it first came out the front covers were like a little bit flimsier than in the final book although they were beautiful looking proofs actually but they you know they'll do a dummy run and they'll say on them you know not for resale and not for this you know this is a proof version of the text you know do not to be quoted from or something like that they'll often say and and those those go out but even before then there's a there's actually two phases to the the proofing stage because even before it's been made up into these bound book-like proofs um they may send out a batch of copies of the book in very very prototypical form like as a just as a pdf or what they call bind ups which are which can literally be like how someone binds their thesis at the end of a phd you know like spiral bound printed out on a4 and shoved in the uh in a in a padded envelope and sent to somebody's house or they, you know they might or or some midpoint you know between a kind of something that looks like the real but because the you know the cover might not be done by then uh, uh, but these might be copies that you send out very very early to select people and the purpose of this 12 month period like I say there's some literal stuff that they're having to do in terms of proofread the book get it laid up in kind of book form in the you know book format and stuff with all the page numbers correct and which page things are going to appear on and um that's quite an involved process in itself and if it's a book like mine there might be like an index or a, a contents page all those kind of little things getting in, has be like a number and all that all those bits and pieces but that does not take 12 you do not need to 12 13 months to do any of that that's you know reasonably speedy but a lot of what you're doing with that time or what they're what the the theory about what they're trying to do is build up buzz is to get people talking about the book is to be pressing the book into people's hands now there's a sort of the way that they talk about this and there's the way that it works in practice and i think those two, two things are quite different my experience and I'm not trying to slight anyone in the publishing industry but there's a sort of the way things are done in publishing where you I can sort of tell when someone's going into their monologue that they've said a few times before because their eyes kind of glaze over it and they'll go well what's really important in publishing is is you know getting people talking about the book pressing it into people's hands getting people talking about it with each other getting you know booksellers interested in it and 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 What I think we need to acknowledge right off the bat is like for most books, this process probably doesn't work as as well as we'd like it to because there are hundreds of books all trying to do the same thing. And lots of books will get much, 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 much more support than others. Uh, the, the publisher's got limited resources, so it's not an even playing field. And I think that's very rarely when you get a book deal will your publisher or agent turn around to you and say, you've got to understand this is a, your book is a, is a pissant little book compared to some of the others coming out. So you're not going to be this publisher's or any booksellers or any media publication's priority. Because, you, I, sorry, that sounds overly bitter. I'm just saying like it, that, that side of things is not normally discussed with individual authors unless they've got some super massive deal. In which case the publisher will say like, your book is our number one is our lead title for this year. And we've even got the concept of super leads now. Um, In which case they will say, you know, yours is our priority. You know, we are putting the entire marketing department are throwing their um, shoulders to the wheel and um, your book is going to get a big push. If not, then, you know, they will just say, you know, we really want to get people reading this book. Whatever. So there's these, these two rounds of blurbing. One where they send off either pdfs of the book uh you know some ebook digital copies or little bound up copies and the purpose with those is to get them to a few select people select meaning i mean that's a way of trying to maybe flatter the people you're sending it to to suggest that they're elite in some way but the truth of it is reading a book in that way is a really shitty way to read a book like the book has not gone through a proper proofreading process yet um If you know, if you're getting a bunch of loosely bound pages, it's pretty. You know, it's not as fun as reading a book, having a physical book in front of you. Uh, I know e e actually, you know, reading on Kindle nowadays and reading on ebook formats can actually. You know, I I do sometimes voluntarily read books that way because they take up less space and it can be very uh, convenient if you're like on the move. I mean, I these latest years not been great for kind of like reading on public transport because I haven't really left the house. but a lot of the time that's a bit better and I think that's becoming a better way of of sharing them. But you're you're sending it to a few people who are like the ideal people. Well, there's two competing things here. They're people that you would really love a glowing quote from. So you really want that to be, you know like luminaries in whatever your field is the the highest profile best people but at the the same time you're sending them like a a shitty dog-eared like naked early version of your book right so you can't just you can't just approach like a best-selling author who you've never met and say would you read my would you read my thing quickly and then come back with me to me with a great quote?" Because they don't know you from Adam. So they're unlikely to do that. So the other competing thing is who can you approach who is likely to say, yes, I'd, I'd love to. I'll have a look at that and I'll get back to you. And I'll, I'll read it. And not only that, but I'll read it rapidly. And I'll get back to you. Because ideally, those people are giving you glowing quotes that you then slap, your publishers then slap on the cover of the proper proofs that get made up. So then those go out to a wider number of potential readers, including other authors, including booksellers, reviewers, all these different people. And those then go out with a press release with them and a cover that has these glowing quotes from impressive sounding people. So that's the second round of blurbing. And then those, so because then when those copies go out, maybe the people the larger pool of people will see, oh, it's got some impressive quotes on it. I'll give it a read and then they read it and then they give you glowing quotes as well. And so it becomes a kind of snowball effect and there's social proof there as well as I guess they read it and there's already someone has gone, this is brilliant. So they feel safer saying it's brilliant as well. People are more likely to get on the bandwagon. Okay, so that's the, so you your heart may be sinking at the moment if you go, well, because you know, you've got this and you'll get actually given by most publishers will send you a publicity questionnaire that includes questions like Do you know anyone famous? Do you have any contacts in the media or famous people maybe relating to your book um, that might be useful? And I mean, it's, uh, it's there are people, there are plenty of people who write incredibly popular, best selling books without having a single inside contact or famous friend or anything like that so I, I don't want to suggest that that is the only way because I can immediately think of counter examples of people who weren't and then later on they're a bit connected because their book does incredibly well and people know who they are but you know when they wrote them that wasn't a significant advantage they have. And then there's lots of people who do have these kind of contacts and they, publishers will ask rather than not ask because the bottom line is it's helpful and it kind of sucks that it is. So with this first round of sending out your blurb to get quotes, there's a lot of pressure on you to to find people who you can think of, who you might have some kind of in, who you could email and say hey would you be willing to read my book and also I might chase you up about it quite quickly and I'm asking you to read it to say something nice about it so that's kind of like the other thing I'd really like from you now if you have an agent your agent if they're a good agent will probably and I think they really should suggest some contacts that they have some of their authors who they could send the book to who they think might like it who would be good names to blurb your book that can be really useful so and and the same goes for your editor if they've got if they're if your publisher publishes some people in a sort of of similar area they hopefully have some suggestions and they may have you know no people no other editors no other authors and, and be maybe have an in to send your work with them so hopefully you'll have some help with contacts you know your agents and editors are people with contacts within the publishing industry, people who know authors. So you're not completely isolated, but they are also going to be looking to you. And I, I understand that that's stressful. And, and here's the other side of it, right? What if you do know some authors? Well, essentially, and a lot of authors, when I brought this up on Twitter, but I've heard them talk about it before, really hate this process and part of it is that very British kind of like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. Oh, it's very ghost. It's a very middle class thing. Oh, it's very ghost to talk about money and work and things like that. This idea, and I think I think there's a I think there's a little bit of snobbery there. Like that we don't we don't talk about these things, and maybe we need to get over that. But it can feel like you're doing multi-level marketing to your friends and your colleagues and to people you don't know terribly well and then you're just kind of tapping them up and going hey can you do something and and there's a pressure to frame it as like hey you know I get the emails and they'll be like hey Tim I wonder if you wanted to read this new book by blah 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 I think you'd love it yeah okay sure but I, I think the reason that you're contacting me is because you'd like a quote for it you'd like me to read it and give a quote because that will do help the book. And, And what I would suggest is that there's a often a gap between how you're approached and what everyone knows the end game is. And maybe I would prefer a little bit of honesty on that. You know, I would like someone to go, Hey Tim, we're trying to get some quotes from this book. I was wondering if you'd be prepared to read it and give us a quote. I think you'll like it. Um, but we need a quote within a month. Um, and, and I think several people aren't going to get back to us. So you'd really help the push with the book. Because then you, you, you're dealing with it for what it is, which is a, a transaction, right? And, 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 and basically a business transaction. But it's often approached, you know, in my experience, in the same way that brands try to market themselves as your mate and they speak to you like a chum. And they kind of sling their arm round your shoulder and go, all right, mate, you know, you know how it's been with like the pandemic and there's been brands going.
2: Oh, it's been a funny year, hasn't it? They're calling this the new normal. But we'll get through it. We've eaten together. We've laughed together. We've cried together. And now we're stepping out into the world together. And when we do that, we want to do that with confidence and without soiling our underpants. And so, why not buy new Jeff's anti-diarrhea pills coming out of lockdown? without filling your pants with stinking fetid gravy. Now,
1: some people have complained that when I do a sort of silly voice that I often put on a, a sort of uh, indeterminate northern accent, uh, and that, you know, a, a kind of not Yorkshire, neither Yorkshire or nor Lancastrian, but just a sort of melange. I, I, I As if I'm trying to imply something about um, northern regional accents and the characteristics of the people therein. I'm not. I'm rather... It was a comment on marketing companies' appropriation of uh, generic northern accents uh, to imply a certain trustworthiness, wholesomeness, and a vague backward charm and I think that that's often done in in the publishing industry as well, and it 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 boils it boils my piss and it does my nut. No, I mean not not quite to that extent. I just find it a little bit tiring, a little, and I think a lot of people do because you're not asking me to read this book because you <laughs> because you spend your nights thinking, I wonder what Tim Clare would like to read. I wonder what book Tim Clare. I wonder whether he's got anything to read right now. I really must email him and make a suggestion, and. Look, I understand. I understand how the kind of game works and stuff, but I, I just think for me, I prefer someone say, "Tim, we, you know, would you be prepared to blurb this?" Because I think it will help the book. Whereas it's all kind of, and 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 I tell you why I struggle with it. Because then I feel like I'm supposed to approach people in the same way, and I, I, I find I feel like I'm marketing to my. To my mates or just to i just feel a bit gross you know i feel a bit like i'm just bothering people and, and i wish that it was okay for me to message people and go hey i'm just kind of i'm just kind of asking around for people who might be interested in blurbing my shit at the moment because well you know how it works and i'm desperate no one's read it and i'm gonna look like a prat if it comes out I mean obviously maybe I shouldn't lead with I'm desperate when I'm asking someone because I am but that's not why I'm asking they're not like my last choice but then but then you're kind of putting but then even but that's worse right because if you're just hey would you like to read this then that's a lie because you're kind of like you're being passive you're being pass ag because what you mean is please read this but if you go to people and go just please read my book I'll I'll hurt myself if you don't. That's ter- like, That's terrible. You can't do something where you go, I fucking need this. Just, my God, like, I know... It's tears of a clown, really. You know, I I know I seem like I'm doing alright, but I'm really not. My God, I need this book to do well. My, my relationship has not been going. I think we're going to break up if this book doesn't do well. So, if you could... I mean, I'm not saying... I'm not saying... That like if you don't give a glowing pull quote for the book, if you don't give me a blurb that Garland's in praise, I'm not saying that I won't survive the year. But I'm not not saying that, you know. I'm. I'm who knows? He's such a these are such unprecedented times to coin a phrase you can't say that either so how do you approach people without just feeling like a fucking sleaze bag well i the answer is i do approach people and i feel like a sleaze bag and i go i'm really sorry to and i I can tie myself in knots going hi I'm really sorry to to be sending this to you um I know you must be really busy but um my book's coming out and I was just wondering if you'd be interested in reading uh, a thing I could send it to you if so but if not I really understand because I know you're really busy and I appreciate your reading this far and and, and please don't feel any pressure at all because and I, I'll do that but if I don't send anything at all, then I am guaranteeing no responses because I know people can't say yes to something I haven't offered to them. And just imagine if you—if this was all in my head, because I know I'm somebody who suffered from anxiety. I know I'm su- someone who su- su- suffered from social anxiety. I know I'm someone who, if not overthinks things, invents ideas about what other people are thinking that later turn out to be incorrect or inaccurate, right? And also, like, if 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 you ask someone, if you say, if somebody asked me, would you like to read my book, Tim? And I and I privately was like, what a prick, what a presumptuous slimy little ugh. How well they must have been using me all this time. If I felt like that, that would be me who was the asshole, right? I would be a bad person. I would be being a judgmental shit bag. Like, it's not for them to worry about will Tim be annoyed at me? If I am, I'm wrong. Like, I'm objectively wrong if I start going, oh, God, this person. How dare they come to me, the great Tim Clare. Fuck me if I think like that. So why uh, am I? do I find myself in this situation? And why do so many authors find themselves in this situation where approaching other writers... I suppose we feel vulnerable, right? You're saying are you prepared to read this? Maybe you won't like it. And then you're going to have to invent, I'm putting you in a position where you might have to invent an excuse. Like, I'm so sorry, I was too busy. And actually you read it and you went, I I don't, I don't enjoy it. I've been sent books that I've read and I've gone, I don't enjoy this. Some authors get around it by just blurbing everything that they're sent. And maybe sometimes they don't even read it. There's plenty of authors I've spoken to off the record who would say, yeah, I don't read the stuff, but I just say, this is great. Because they're being supportive. And I suppose that's n- nice, but it also, it, it. I think the effect is, because then these blurbs go on the books and then they, then the proofs go out, right? And you've got all these glowing... And, and the problem is that this process has been getting bigger and bigger over the years. And I don't want to make some ridiculous slippery slope argument but as more books get sent out earlier and earlier to more and more people you know everyone in publishing knows how the how the system works right so you get this press release and you get the book and it's got a quote from this person and a quote from this person and you just go well did they read it also why why should i care what this fucking celebrity chef said about this thriller like, why, why do I care? I mean, it's lovely that they liked it. But the fact that you've chosen them makes me think you've... They're your mate. And that's why you... Because I thought it would be a really random choice to send one of your, like, tiny number of early kind of bind-ups to. So this is just your mate. So all you're telling me through this is, I'm friends with a celebrity chef. Well, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, so that makes me think that you couldn't find someone. So you you just because of the sheer number of them you become very cynical about them or at least very quick to kind of dismiss things and it, it creates an arms race it creates a kind of hyperinflation a devaluing of the currency of blurbs because you you know everyone in, you know who shares an agent with who who shares a publisher with who you know well the, you that's gone to that person because you share a an agent your agent has said "Well, you you blurred this did the person like it maybe but maybe not and then uh, and look some authors will say to me tim i'd never put my name to a quote that uh, for a book that i didn't sincerely love i would never do that so you know i would you can you can be sure so we don't we don't know but the, the point is that th- these quotes only distinguish a book and get people later down the process to to read it. And, and by the way, these some people said to me when I started putting this thread up, they said, "Well, I'm not really bothered about. I, I never really look at those kind of endorsements from such and such a big author saying the best book I've ever read. I couldn't put it down. Whatever." They said, "In fact, a lot of them put put me off." Well, you're not the intended audience, especially for those um, bind ups, those PDF, those early proofs that go out. Um, you're not really the intended audience for the for those quotes. The intended audience for them are bookseller sales teams, uh, potential reviewers and publications, uh, potential other authors who might be uh, willing more willing to read the book in the first place and give a blurb if they liked it. There's all sorts of buzz that goes around, you know, around booksellers. Uh, around foreign rights sales you know going to other publishers in other countries and if you've got those you're trying to do the foreign rights sales before the book comes out really you're trying to get that done and so there's no reviews of it so the really the only thing that makes them go oh maybe i'll have a look at this is the size of the advance that you got from your publisher you know if there's if there was a big you know bid rights war before a bidding war before your book came out then obviously that will get some attention But aside from that, the only real way to distinguish it, apart from an interesting topic or you being famous, is very flashy blurbs. And these early blurbs are going to be often the only thing that's there when foreign rights starts being negotiated and things like that. So, you know, I'm sure that for lots of readers, they're like, well, I don't care who, you know, what other famous author or celebrity has said that this book's great. Fine but you're often not the primary target for this uh, so that's not what they're thinking about so they want to get it out to other people maybe a you know best-selling author maybe someone who's an expert in the field if it's non-fiction something like that and, it, and it's a very stressful time because really a few of those can make a big 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 difference to a book's fate and, and sometimes no amount of glowing quote can um can can make up for a book if the book is just generally shit on a subject that no one's going to be interested in then there's only so much that kind of thing can do but these small these apparently small interventions can change a book's trajectory massively if you think about it being a sort of 1% course correction Ex- then spread over the time of 12 months can be a massive trajectory change you know a couple of people a couple of high profile people say yes I love this wham that goes on the the proofs that go out now it's falling from a great height when the second round and and by the way once they bind up the books and send them out if your publisher apart from like very small publishers if your publisher's got any kind of profile they're going to be nowadays they carpet bomb the UK with proofs the, the, the number of proofs that go out. The list that you see alone, maybe 50, 60 proof copies of the books go out to different authors saying, read this, read this, all these different, these massive lists of authors. They just absolutely, just absolutely wallpaper the British Isles with, because why not? If you're going to print five then it, the economy of scale gets better the more you print, right? So let's print 20. Well, if we're going to print 20, why not print 40? Like this is it? It's it. For the cost of posting it to someone, most of them will go unread, probably. But for the cost of posting, it's just an it's just a as marketing goes, relatively cheap. So they just. Boom, they just get get a cannon and just and just bazooka them at everyone they can because if those people start talking I mean and, and by this stage maybe you're hoping for people to talk about it on social media a little bit to go oh I'm starting to read this new proof that will often those proofs will often come out not that long before publication although if any of those people reading them come back and give you a a brilliant quote normally that can be in- incorporated into the final cover and if it doesn't make the final cover of say the hardback coming out then it will go on the paperback if that person's high profile enough you know that we are often f- uh, fiddling around with that also things like your amazon page they they get dropped there that gets updated quite quickly all these kind of things and it will go into the press release that then goes off to try and get people to review it and things like that. But what you've got to remember is you, you may think, well, this doesn't say how could it possibly make that much difference? Well, look, unfortunately, review space, for example, for books, even over the time I've been writing, has just dropped away. There is less and less and less arts space in general in, 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 in the press and less and fewer and fewer people being paid to write book reviews. I, I mean, I've r- written a couple of book reviews for the Guardian. I used to be a book reviewer for the uh, for the Big Issue as well. And I, I don't enjoy reviewing books at all. I would say hate it is a a bit of an exaggeration, but I just feel I want to be able to just read a book and that, and I have that experience. I choose what book I'm going to read, and then I just engage with it, and then I quietly put it away. I don't want to be judging someone else's work that they've put loads of time into um having been forced to read it i didn't go through that whole dance of finding it in a bookshop and going i would like this i feel like it's a desperately unfair system on both them and to a lesser extent on me because i i feel i feel under compulsion to be honest and and I'm not be a, a dick about it. I think I'd always try and look for the good stuff in it, and I've I've not encountered a book yet that didn't have, you know, good stuff in it. But it's just anyway, <laughs> anyway, the review space is just dwindling, and general ways of books getting coverage is dwindling. Book bloggers are doing great stuff, you know. There's there's book um vloggers are doing some good stuff as well that tends to be in certain types of genre though um TikTok has started book TikTok has started taking off a little bit but it's uh, you know that tends to be more within genre and maybe like ya and maybe romance and that's great for those scenes and, and there's probably i imagine that there's a crime there's a, a, a strong crime contingent as well um, and, and and I think I'm um, just. It's amazing that those that community has got their shit together. Not not because they're crime readers. Just I think it's amazing for the authors and it's amazing for the community because it's going to allow them to spread books and it's going to be very exciting. Um, Litfic and nonfiction doesn't have that in the same way, and more's the pity. But it means that blurbs become incredibly have just become more important because there's less other alternatives you know there's less options and there's, there are fewer options shall we say and I think that that's it's a it's a high pressure time and I'm just about to have to I'm going to have a meeting uh, next week where I where we make the little short list of who we're sending out the kind of pdf versions or the v- like bound up versions of the book so it'll just be like a A generic book shape there won't be a proper cover on it it will just like have title to be confirmed title tb no no it'll say the name of the book but it will say like cover to be confirmed um and that's it and it'll and i am going to have to they'll be going who do you know who you can approach and say would you read my book and I, i do feel a bit like i'm selling being asked to sell he- health shakes to my friends and family you know um, and saying you could would you like to build a business that you can do from home it's like a wind farm for money it's like that and a lot of these people you know I don't know terribly well and I have to approach them because if I don't then I simply just don't so it's like what well, are you prepared and and some authors have said to me look I just I've made a decision not to do any of that I will not approach people because I don't want to be a sleaze. But, and some authors have got the, you know, I've got the convenience to not do that because they're celebrities. They've actually got a big enough profile that their agent and author can hand it around and go, do you want to read the new and say the name? People will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, please. Like it's easy for them. If you're, not someone, if you're someone who grew up in a small rural town who didn't grow up in a kind of middle or upper middle class environment, you're less likely, you know, who didn't go to an Oxbridge university, then you're less likely to have those kind of contacts. And the choice you face is, do you try and find a way of approaching people on the, on So you've got at least some chance. Or do you voluntarily hobble your own book out of embarrassment and shame? I don't know that there's an easy answer to that, really. I, I, you know, I I would love there to be positive quotes for my book. Also, people might, I mean, people might genuinely read it and go, this is shit. So, So my previous experience with this is... With We Can't All Be Astronauts my publishers bought it, the editor then immediately left my and I've talked about this before and I, I don't I want to talk about it in a, as if it was like my misfortune but my agent then um, died and The upshot of all of that was there was basically no one at the publishers doing any work for the book. And so, and, you know, there were worse things going on at the time. So I don't, I think it's, you know, almost irrelevant, but that meant that it didn't get sent out to anyone to give feedback on. And there were no pull quotes for it at all before it came out. And it kind of, it kind of died to death, really, uh, When the honours came out years later, it got sent out in kind of uh, before it was printed up, those early blurbs got sent out to quite a few people, quite targeted. And I got and then I got back a really nice quote from the author and illustrator Chris Riddell who does a lot of work with Neil Gaiman, saying that he loved it. I got another one back from Matt Haig, saying that he being very lovely about it as well. Uh, And so those were two, but those were two contacts that I had via my agent and publisher. They weren't people I knew, but they were people that were represented by the people who, so they, they were kind of like insiders, right? Did they read it? Well, they said they did and that they liked it. And this is lovely. I'm not, I wouldn't want to start, sort of stab them in the back and say, I bet they didn't read it. They were really, really nice about it. But um, who knows? They certainly, you know, the people I worked with had an in. And then the other two people who, who had quotes that were on the front of my book were Nathan Filer and Joe Dunthorne. Well, you'll know from if you've listened to the show that I've had Joe Dunthorne on the show three times. So me and him are friends. So that's why he was very kind about the book. And um, Nathan Filer, the author Nathan Filer, who uh, has written uh, fiction and non-fiction, is also a uh, long-time personal friend of mine as well. So, you know, I'm not saying that they read it and they were like, well, I'm going to lie through my teeth to glad hand my pal Timmy C up the greasy pole. But certainly it was easier... It was easy for me to approach them without feeling anxious because I knew, or at least I hope that both of them would feel willing and comfortable and would know I would be absolutely happy if they said I'm too busy or if they said fuck off or if they said you know what I'd feel a bit weird blurbing that because I'm your mate and it might look a bit like insider dealing it might look like log rolling if, if they'd said that they I hope know that I would have been I would have completely understood and been comfortable with that so I feel like it's uh, as much as you're kind of like well why would you know if you're asking your mates isn't that a little bit you know, isn't that nepotism? Well, it is, but sometimes they're the easiest people to ask, precisely because they're the people who you hope would feel most comfortable telling you no. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, because they can say "piss off," and that I you know, and they don't worry. Oh gosh, do I look like I'm being horrible? No, no, because you know, I understand how it is, and they can tell you exactly why. Whereas you can't really have those conversations. You don't have that level of trust and dialogue set up with someone who's only a vague acquaintance and I worry that the pressure might be more. Other people may feel differently about it. And and that may not... So anyway, the book went came out with a four really glowing pull quotes. And it got picked up for various promotions by different booksellers, potentially on the strength of those quotes, potentially because it had a, a gorgeous looking cover that Canongate put on it. Uh, and, and then other people read the proofs And I got a couple more really, really nice, really lovely uh, blurbs for for it. One from, um, well, and and then of course it got reviews and then the reviews were really nice as well. Uh, So that was lovely. And some of those went on the paperback version. Then they moved some of the quotes around and had, you know, a quote from The Guardian and things like that. So that's all, all that. When The Ice House came out, In the lead up to that, nobody was really willing to read it. Why? I don't know. I don't know what changed. Nobody was really willing to take the time to read it. A couple of people did in the end. And gave some really nice cover quotes. And I'm really grateful to them for that. But compared to the first time where all these different people read and read and read it nobody really did it wasn't that the people read it and then came back and said Do you know what it's not my kind of thing it's that people just didn't pick it up and it is a sequel so maybe some of the people we sent it to were reluctant because they hadn't read the first one but it meant that when the book came out with much less of a splash and had much less bookseller support and struggled to get re- review space all the when it when it got reviews, it got glowing reviews, but it got n- f- very few places. Not like before, where the Guardian did like a full, you know, did like a half page review with a big picture of me and saying how great they thought it was. In the second book, they didn't they didn't cover, and I think that's part of it. And it, I really saw the difference between having a bunch of these blurbs, and having very few. And Sorry, I'm very conscious that it may sound like I'm grinding an axe or kind of relitigating old resentments. I'm honestly not. I'm really proud of the ice house. I love it and I'm super happy with it and I'm super happy with the support I received about it and I'm not you know going oh but I was betrayed. No one owes me a blurb ever. But i'm just so super aware. and i asked a lot of people personally as well i like went to people and said i'd love it if you were able to support me and read this book and and all of them didn't and that's fine because they don't owe they never owe nobody owes anyone to read but you do kind of feel helpless you cuz you're kind of like wow okay so this stuff lives and dies uh, off people supporting it and people talking about it and people retweeting it and people sharing it with their networks and going, hey, I think you'd be really excited about this book. It's about this. Someone, you know, s- multiple people tweeting about it. So many people put like pictures of the honours on things like Instagram, beautiful book pictures of it because it looked gorgeous. Just made it seem like a very desirable, lovely thing. And lots of people talked about it. And that stemmed. It was like it went blurbs, reviews, chatter, and and I think you know that's that's the buzz pipeline. What can we do about it as authors? I honestly, if if, if there are authors out there who want to give me some advice, uh, do let me know. But I, I I I hate to say it. I do think part of it is out of our control, and a lot of what we can better do is to focus our work on the areas we can control and blurb, um, blurbs and buzz are not an area that we've got super duper amounts of control over. I, I think you you could network, but that feels to me just like obviously false. And I think networking just to get people who might later on blurb you, I think is just not a good use of your time and will probably make you feel a bit sad. And then you'll probably ask them and then they they won't want to do it. And then you'll feel resentful, which is completely ridiculous because you were using them in the first place purely to market your book. And it's not their job to market your book, to be an unpaid promoter of your work. That's not their job. Now, look, as writers, I think it's good for us to try and read each other's work and give support in you know the research community researchers all the time do when when you hear about a paper being peer-reviewed those peer those, those reviewers do that unpaid they get stuff sent to them and they they do that peer review unpaid to support one another and and it's kind of thought that it's you know that eventually someone is going to be doing that for you so you kind of like pay it forward so I think if where we've got time, it's really good for authors to to do that. Although it's the load is not spread out equally amongst authors, as you can imagine. High profile people get sent bajillions of books. Um, less high profile people get sent fewer, but still, someone like me gets sent dozens. Like I, I can only imagine how many, you know, someone like Richard Osman or or, or Neil Gaiman or um any of the big name authors how many they're receiving because i get loads and i'm very glad to be oh gosh i'm flattered that people would ever send me their thing although i'm very aware how many copies get sent out um and i I do and i do try to at least you know have a look at all of them but you know that's what you're competing with and it's just hmm I think it's I think, you know, as authors, as writers, we should remember I I get free books. That's wonderful and lovely. And people are generally really nice about it. You know, I've not had people going, you prick, why haven't you read my book? Why didn't you say something nice about it? No one's been entitled with me. And I'm sure that there are, unfortunately, some authors out there who've been on the receiving ends of people being difficult or bitter with them or having a sense that they ought to help them the other thing is worth saying is that like the decisions that might make someone read your book are not necessarily the calculations on why they do that are going to be many you know like they may want to you know it's quite nice to be to be getting behind a book that already has other people saying nice things about it because you feel safer saying it you're not going to like go a oh, lovely book and then discover everyone else has said this book is terrible and so now you look like you have bad taste or it's worse it's problematic and now you look you know the author's been out outed as a, uh, a, a as someone who um, eats the brains of live kittens on uh, Twitch and which I'm sure violates community policy guidelines um but like and and you you look dreadful so if lots of other people have said it's good you feel safer doing it you know if the book and I'm not being snarky here but if the book is about a endorsing a subject that you feel is kind of virtuous then giving your endorsement to it maybe you're going to have your endorsement on the front of a book that's about some kind of popular or i i feel like i the because i'm not giving a specific a concrete example it sounds like i'm subtweeting or being passive aggressive let's say there's a book on climate science and uh, about we need to do things to um help the environment well yeah you might be more likely to give that book a good review because who is going to fault you for having given a blurb to a book that's saying let's save the world no one and actually Maybe some of the virtue from that book rubs off on you, because now it's like Tim Clare says, this is an essential and very important and timely book. Well, I've done fuck all work writing that book, but now I get a few kind of like advocacy bucks of having my name on the back. If I'm honest, I'm not saying everyone is this cynical, but is is that in the back of my mind if I'm looking at a book? If there's, I get sent a book about mental health and it's brilliant. Of course like on one level if i read it and it if it was shit or let's say it was not incorrect you know like it wasn't saying anything harmful but it was it was craply written but it was basically advocating for something that is good would i be more likely to give a blurb for that than a pretty than a averagely written novel that doesn't didn't have any ideological valence yes because i would look good and i suspect that is true of not just me you know like i suspect that's true so there are different things going on you know what about if it's what about if it's in an, an area that's quite close to yours to the area you're in maybe maybe you feel threatened by there's all sorts of things that are not to do with the quality of the book that affect whether it gets blurbed and as i say some people will blurb books without reading them because they just simply don't have time and they're making and 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 they're having to make this and what can seem like a very cynical set of determinations about you know is it on this topic is it by this author whatever actually are necessary heuristics if you're getting sent dozens of books is this being sent to me? Has this been sent to me via, you know, a friend? Am I am I am I you know? Has this been sent to me? Am I married to editor X Y or author X Y? And there's a kind of expectation that I give some kind of nice quote. Is it is it? Am I going to look like it? I suspect that I was more likely to get um, blurbs for my first book because because I was a debut author and it looks generous to support a debut author. I'm, I'm not suggesting any cynicism. I don't want to f- feel like I'm being rude about anyone who gave me, but it, it looks, you know, someone does their first book and you go, hey, I love this. This is a great new voice. You look kind of magnanimous and big and lovely, right? So what I'm saying is that it's, it's this kind of dark art blurbing and there are all sorts of things that are outside an author's control. And there are some things to do with identity. I bet that there have been, you know, black and Asian authors and authors whose name seem is not, you know, a traditional white name. So I'd include in that, you know, like authors with Polish sounding ends to their name and Russian sounding names who, who their books get sent out and probably hopefully less now but i bet historically female authors with female names where their their book was simply their work was less likely to be picked up and read by you know first readers by um by by people getting the proofs because they wanted to read books by by men now i suspect that that is changing i hope it is um I think it certainly is better than it was, whether there's complete parity or whatever. Um, you know, I hope there's been change on that front. But still, like, an author's just... There's the simple fact of their identity, their presumed nationality, I'm sure, makes a difference. And I'm sure it can also work positively as well. I'm sure there's, you know, people who um, would be, you know, more likely to maybe support uh, an or, uh, a book by a queer author or something like that. There are people some readers who would be more likely to, and there's probably some who, without being any way conscious of it, would be less likely to because they, because of basically, I I, I guess, latent homophobia, I imagine. There are some people for whom that's true as well. So there's all sorts of things in your politics and blah, 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 on on and on and on and on and on that are nothing to do with your book. And this is what happens every time your book, you write a book and then you send it out into the world. There's this There's this invisible set of hurdles that it goes through that are much, 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 much easier for celebrity authors and authors with a big profile. Although most of them would never would say, I've still got to write a good book. Well, that's true, but you do have a much, much easier pathway to getting these quotations. And, and that's why celebrity books continue to be a thing that's why people who've had a career in television are much much more likely to get published and when they are published them publishers are more likely to throw money behind their marketing campaigns and so those books are more likely to do well and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy I'm not sure I blame anyone involved it's just shit for books in general and you know what do we do because if we I would just like to say to you look if you Have a book out, and you think you're worrying about approaching people to read your book. You don't need to go to them cap in hand. You don't need to dig your toe into the carpet. You don't need to apologise. You're an author. You've done fucking great to get your book out. Approach people. Be proud. Be honest. Say, "I'd love you to read my book, and if you like it, give me a great quote because that's going to help me sell my book." Of course, if you don't, if if you don't have the time, I understand. We're all really, really busy. Short to the point, kind, and they do not owe you a response, let alone a yes, let alone a glowing quote. If they don't have the time to respond to the letter that the email that you send, that's their prerogative. you You never get to write to someone sending it to them, and now they're obliged to get back to you. That is not the case that That's how I would you you, you approach people without shame? you approach them proudly because fucking good for you that you've done your book right and you're and you don't have to suck up you don't have to apologize you just go hey I've done this thing love it if you read it and I would love it even more if you gave it a a glowing quote if you like it because I'm you know that's going to help it sell and you've got a great profile If if you're too busy I completely understand thanks for reading this far Cheers, Tim. That's how I'm gonna phrase my my things most of the time. I suspect, um, and I and and if any of the people I send it to, this is going to sound super defensive now, and I don't mean it to. But if any of them come, you know, read that and go, what a what a manipulative, oily prick Tim Clare is, then I I think they're not being very fair to me, right? Because I I'm just you know that's genuine that that, that I'll send that out, and understanding that most people will not ever get back. But you still send it back on the on the off chance that someone goes, I love this. And then that becomes the spark that starts the fire. So I hope that this has helped a little bit. My fleshing this out, my explaining how it g- goes, because it, it, it's something that, when I talked about it, a lot of people were like, it was really interesting, the responses when I did the thread on Twitter, because all the authors were like, oh my God, I hate this process so much. And all the people who weren't yet published were going, what? oh that sounds horrible I'm dreading that I don't think anyone super enjoys it although on the positive side when someone comes back and says that they liked your book especially someone you don't know that does feel lovely you know uh, when I Chris Riddell sent a picture that he'd drawn of Delphine from the honours he posted it to me so I know he must have read quite, you know, some of the book to know that, right? And um, oh, he drew her just like she was in my head. And that was one of the best things that has ever happened to me in my writing life. It was just great. It was my first piece of fan art. And I was like, oh, wow. Thank you. It just felt great. It felt lovely. So, of course, there's an upside to all this. Because as authors, we do... I think most of us care about each other. We know how difficult it is. If I get a book and I read it and I love it, I, I want to throw my weight behind that authors. And that's why I do this show, really. I do it because I enjoy it. But getting other authors on to talk about their work, you know, I hope I'm giving something back to the community a bit, you know? I hope that I'm helping you hear all these. And I've got so many interviews. You should go back and there's over 50 interviews. It's like... I think we've got over 72 hours of me talking to authors and people in the publishing industry and people around books and stories and things like that i love it and i do my best to (laughs) do my best
2: to support the community and so timmy claire's gonna be calling a few fucking favors all right because i've been i've been slogging my guts out for these pricks what have i got what did i get on my last book nothing well it's collection time all right Tim Clare's going to be a little knock on your door. Oi, it's Tim Clare. I'm calling in that favour. You're going to say something nice about my book. You got it.
1: No, I'm not going to do that. And, and look, I'm, I'm as I'm as resentful and um, unreasonable and bitter as the uh, next hirsute middle-aged anxiety sufferer. But... I understand how it is, and I, as much as I, you know, desperately want approval and affirmation, I will understand if people don't get back. But when they do, it's amazing, and I, you know, I will be dancing if if somebody gets back and goes, "I love this," and um, and and to be completely cynically honest, somebody with a sort of reasonable profile, whom other people might have heard of, I'll be boogieing. I'll be so thrilled. And, and and actually, when it's somebody who no one else has heard of just the fact that they said I like it is genuinely amazing as well so it's not it's not even quite as cynical as that because sometimes it's just another human being who really doesn't owe you that you know that you're presuming that they're being sincere maybe it's someone you've never heard of and they said that they loved your book and you're like oh my gosh you absolute wonderful person you made my day so that's blurbing. That's the process. Over the next 12 months, that's what I'm going to be going through. And and it's largely a passive process for me. And I've just started a new book as well. And I'm at the beginnings of that. Maybe another time we can talk through stuff like that. I really enjoyed, if you haven't heard the chat I had with, two chats I think are pertinent to writing non-fiction that I've had recently that I think are really good. And if you haven't listened to them, go check them out. Are My chat with Kieran Pym, who was talking about writing biography, and he his background is in journalism and he just had some great 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 crunchy practical advice for how you do that and how you get interviews with people and how you write about a place and the other one that I thought was really spot on and had loads and loads of good advice was when I talked to um, Musa Akwanga and he talked about how you write about something that you're passionate about but make it accessible to a a broader audience so I was asking him about football I don't follow football I've been to football matches I understand it as a concept but I'm not an enthusiast and I'm not a football fan and yet when I read his writing about football I get it and it's compelling and I god I just he's such a good he's such a good journalist he's such a good non he's such a good essayist as well and he just talks a bit about how he finds the story in it and gives a practical example from something from a cub, from a something he just wrote. And then he also talks about writing an opinion piece as well. And I think that's a great one. So um, uh, my chat with Musa Akonga and my chat with Kieran Pym, I'll put a link to both in the show notes. So if you want to, you can just click after this and, and go and listen to them. There's also a playlist with all of the interviews I've done so if you want, you can just go to, if you go to SoundCloud forward slash Tim Clare, you can listen to all the episodes and they're just in one big blah, blah, blah one big list and you can click that and stick your headphones in and have a blast and scroll through years of my chatting to authors right that is it for me um if you've enjoyed the show and you want to support it um you can drop me a few beans via my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim clare the show doesn't have um any sponsors except for in a couple of rare occasions and the only reason it can keep going is because listeners sometimes say hey tim i like what you do i want to keep it free i want you to be able to keep doing it um and they drop me a small donation that allows me to pay for things like my hosting of the website and keeping it online and also just allowing me to give up time out of my working week to make it. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I apologise for the ukulele playing at the beginning. I hope that there was something good in that and um, hey, look after yourself. Oh,
2: it's just a joy to chat with you and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.